0: First of all, just tell us where you're from. Sure, I live in East Belfast. Is that good? That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And married?
1: Uh, Yes, I'm married to Ed. We've been married for seven and a half years, and we have a little boy called Nathaniel, who will be two in September, and he is insane. It's fair to say. (laughs) What about
0: your interest in in this subject? How did you come to be involved in it, and and what do you do with it?
1: Sure, well, it's a long story, so we'll not take the time to tell the whole thing right now, but... um Growing up, I went to the Crescent Church in Belfast and they always um, highlighted issues, international issues of poverty and they had a close link with the likes of Tear Fund. So I grew up with a real interest in those issues. I went to Africa when I was 18 for a year. Um, and actually it was in Africa that I learned about International Justice Mission. And because of the work that they were doing to challenge structures, that um are damaging to the most vulnerable Uh, i was really impressed and inspired and so got involved with ijm way back when i was 18 and i've been working for them now for six years Um, and before that i qualified as a lawyer but through that whole journey always had an interest and a passion for these issues thank you very much let me just
0: pray for you now before we start okay heavenly father we just thank you for your many blessings we thank you, Lord, just that we can come here today and be free to come. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what we have heard this morning. Now, Lord, we just pray for Ruth as she brings this message to us, Lord. We're all quite sad every day, Lord, when we hear about human trafficking. For those, Lord, who are being trafficked, how horrendous it must be for them. And so we just pray now that you will be with Ruth as she speaks. We'd also pray, Lord, just that the technology will work as well. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Great, thanks, Isabel. Okay, so as you know I work for IJM. I'm the regional director here in Ireland. I've been working for them for six years and we're a global organization tackling violence and we're the largest anti-slavery organization in the world Um, and I'm really excited and passionate about sharing about the reality of slavery but also I feel really strongly that it's important to get the good news out there the progress that's being made and that's what inspired me or motivated me to put together this seminar today and um, my voice will not be the only one you hear we've got videos to show you we're interviewing Dave Richards and we're going to hear from Jill Robinson from Flourish as well so just to say thanks for giving up some time to come and hear about something that when you come into a seminar like this, you know that you're already going to be challenged. It's not going to be always the most comfortable place to be. I want to start by reading some words from Psalm 10. I use this Psalm quite a lot uh, when I'm speaking uh, on behalf of IJM. And you'll forgive me, it's not the most cheerful Psalm. Um, In fact, it's quite difficult reading. But I think it's important to face reality in the world. So Psalm 10 tells us, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then we're given a description of the wicked man. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In verse seven, his mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages from ambush. He murders the innocent watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. It's not cheerful reading. But I imagine if you think about stories that you've heard and the papers that we read and the news that we watch, it's actually a pretty realistic picture of what people are capable of in the world. And I also think it's a really good description of those who enslave others. uh, Lying, um, waiting for the helpless, uh, taking advantage of people, uh, using force, using threats. But of course the psalm does not end with that verse, the last one I read. It goes on to say, But you, O God, do see trouble and you do see the trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And we're told at the end, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. So yes, we have the reality that man is capable of real inhumanity to other people, but we also have the truth that God cares about uh, the most vulnerable. He He considers their grief, he knows what's going on, he takes it in hand, he's in control and he uses us uh, to bring about uh, his justice on the earth. So I hope that we get, we see both of those truths here this morning. I wonder if each of us could describe a, a kind of waking up moment whenever you heard about the issue of slavery. I started to work for IGM in 2011 and then there seemed to be this real wave of interest and uh, people really eager to learn about the issue what's going on? I can't believe this. Did you know this was real? I can't be- I've never heard anything like this before. And for a lot of people, a light bulb seemed to be going on. And I wonder if maybe you have a moment like that, or maybe it was a slower burn thing for you over time, hearing little bits here and there and realizing suddenly people are being enslaved and mistreated, even today. For me it was more the slow burn but there are stories that stick out along the way. You can see on the screen at the, the bottom the little girl, Indian girl, in the sort of orange peach shirt. Her name's Sandana. Her family were enslaved in a rice mill along with about 20 other people. Through, there through debt, uh, the people who ran it, really cruel, um, used violence to keep control. At one point someone spoke up um, to try to say this is wrong, what's happening to us? And they put petrol on his arm and burnt it as a scare tactic. We're in control. There's nothing that you can do. But in IGM, we did. We were able to find out what was going on, investigate, work with local police to bring about a rescue, and we took all those people uh, to a local judge. He had to hear the stories and decide if he thought they they had been enslaved, and then sign certificates to ensure their freedom. But this man we'd never worked with before, so he was a little bit cynical of the process. And so he lined up the 20 people in front of him and he asked them, are you slaves? But he allowed the two men who were running the rice mill to stay in the same room. So all those people said, oh no, oh no, we're not slaves. Oh no, we're just, we're workers, we're ordinary workers, we're paid, everything's fine, there are no problems. Because they were so frightened of the two men in the same room. But then this little girl, Sandana, whose whole family were there, she spoke up to the judge and she said, look, my daddy can't tell you the truth because he's frightened. He knows that if he tells you the truth that they'll beat him. But the truth is we are slaves. And the judge just couldn't believe it that a child would be the one to speak up and tell the truth. And so he signed the certificates the police, he sent the police back to ensure they'd rescued everybody. And all those people were able to start lives in freedom. I've told that story many times, but for me, it was a really big, when I heard it, the hairs on my arms stood up and I thought, isn't it amazing, the courage that people can show around the world. So I want to, I hope that we have uh, hopeful stories like that today. So take a chance, take the moment to consider what was your waking up moment. What Uh, motivated you to think this is an issue that we've got to do something about. So over the next uh, few minutes, the next 50 minutes or so, we are going to define what we're thinking about what is modern slavery. We're going to look back at what progress has been made. And then we're going to look forward, what are the next major challenges in the fight against modern slavery? And hopefully you will feel encouraged and challenged and informed by the end. So what are we talking about when we talk about slavery? Well, the US State Department, they have uh, said that modern slavery or trafficking in persons or human trafficking are all terms which are used uh, for the act of recruiting harbouring, transporting, providing or obtaining a person for compelled labour or commercial sex acts through the use of force, fraud or coercion. It can include but it doesn't have to include movement. So someone can actually be trafficked or enslaved even though they're born into that way of life. Someone can be trafficked in their own home Someone can be trafficked who actually did consent uh, to work for a trafficker but perhaps they were deceived. Or if someone can still be trafficked and a victim of trafficking, even if they've participated in a crime as a result of it. But at the heart of it is the trafficker's goal of exploiting and enslaving their victims and using coercive and deceptive practices to do so. Think back to the description in Psalm 10. I can really see the truth of and the reality of what it's like uh, or what a trafficker might be like through that Sam. Currently, uh, the most recent estimate of enslaved people around the world is 45.8 million and that comes from the global slavery index from the walk free foundation and they usually produce a report most years and the figure will have gone up it has gone up over the past couple of years not necessarily because there are more people being enslaved but because we're getting better information that's why the number has grown in the past couple of years but 45.8 million can be hard to believe So what progress has been made? Well, I have a few thoughts. And in IJM, we think there really is good news. So individuals are being rescued all the time. As I wrote this talk in the previous couple of weeks... IJM and our partners had rescued about 170 individuals just in the past couple of weeks from different uh, incidents of slavery. So those were boys in Ghana who'd been enslaved in the fishing industry, girls exploited for sex in the Dominican Republic, for example, families in brick kilns in India. Last year, um, 2016, we had our largest ever single operation. 564 people, in one brick kiln in India, who were freed in one day, which is pretty amazing. They were all asked, who wants, does anybody want to be free? Who wants to leave? And there was silence. And then one by one, people started to put their hands in the air. They wanted to be free, 564 people. On that note, we have seen really massive changes in how the government in India have dealt with this issue. From denying the existence of bonded labour bonded labour to actually acknowledging it and wanting to tackle it. We have just co hosted an international conference on human trafficking in Mumbai with the government. They asked us to partner with them in that. That was a really big deal and really exciting. We thank God for every life changed, for every individual rescued. Isn't that amazing? To see that day where people's lives are changed forever. So exciting. But of course, that day is not the end of the story. It says in the video that it's the beginning of a journey and it will actually take a long time uh, for healing and complete transformation to happen. Um, I've asked Jill Robinson from Flourish and I to come and share her experiences, her experiences of caring for survivors in Northern Ireland. Um, and she's going to tell us about what role they have played, what challenges they've faced, what progress they have seen.
2: Does human trafficking happen here in Northern Ireland? Yes, it does. And we are frequently asked this question and people are shocked to learn that individuals are kept as slaves here in Northern Ireland. We believe that you cannot put a price on a life. Trafficked survivors are stripped of their basic human rights. They're denied freedom. They are physically abused. They're mentally tortured. They live in fear, both for themselves and for their family. They are trapped both physically and emotionally. They're isolated. They lose their self-esteem and their dignity. And they're a slave to their trafficker. And me just saying those words to you today doesn't actually come close to conveying the trauma and the exploitation that these survivors suffer. And let's face it, after coming through what they've come through, they really are survivors. Human trafficking can come in many forms, the most prevalent here in Northern Ireland being forced labour and sexual exploitation. So what do we do as Flourish? We provide long-term, one-on-one support, tailored to meet the individual needs. We believe in hope restored. We believe that an individual's past does not have to determine their future. We follow a whole-person approach. When survivors leave statutory services, they can face a lot of barriers to being able to move on with their lives, such as PSNI investigations ongoing, mental health issues from the trauma, accessing services, maybe a lack of English, or a lack of employment opportunities. And without support, survivors can become vulnerable to isolation, homelessness, depression, substance misuse, abusive relationships, and potentially even re-exploitation. And it's against this background that we formed Flourish, as we believe that recovery from human trafficking is a long-term process. Our services are very much wide and varied, but they can include the provision of housing accommodation, counselling, life skills, sourcing employment, educational opportunities, liaising with the police, English classes, solicitors and the courts, form filling. But most of all, our support will always be dependent on the needs of the individual. We're providing a voice for the voiceless. Basically, it's about coming alongside somebody and saying, we're here to support, let's start the journey together. Our aim is always towards empowerment to each person moving on and being able to lead independent, fulfilling lives. Looking at statistics is really important to see the magnitude of it, but if we can do something to help one person, then it's worthwhile. And I would like to share a story about Jonathan, and I'm calling him Jonathan to protect his identity. And it's interesting, I didn't know you were going to speak today about Ghana, but Jonathan was recruited in Ghana to work on the fishing boats in Scotland. He had a young family and he wanted the opportunity to earn some money to pay for his children's education. Unfortunately for Jonathan, it didn't turn out like that. He was trafficked, he was held as a slave, with no money, very little food, incredibly long working hours, in fear for his life, traumatised and abused. Not long after we formed Flourish, Jonathan was referred into our service with a specific referral of looking for a church. Jonathan was a Christian and wanted to get involved in church again. We introduced Jonathan to a local church which he still attends. It also became very apparent that in addition to helping Jonathan get involved there was a lot of other practical needs that needed addressed. He was battling with the trauma from his trafficking and his mental health was really poor. He had a job but he just went to work, came home, went to work, came home, he had no friends and there was no integration into the local community. He was also separated from his family in Ghana. He was not allowed to return to Ghana because he had given the police evidence about the traffickers. And his wife and his children lived in Ghana. When he was initially rescued, he couldn't even contact his wife because he knew that when he wasn't able to get through to her, she was on the run from the traffickers. This is no longer the case and now Jonathan has been able to return to a neighbouring country to Ghana where his wife and children travel to, to spend a number of weeks together. We facilitated providing his wife with a tablet so that the family can communicate clearly when they're having conversations and that he can see his children and we support Jonathan regularly with police solicitors and the Home Office navigating the systems. And we're currently about to embark on a process of residency in the UK for Jonathan with the aim of bringing his family to be with him permanently. There is hope. Jonathan relied on God to see him through the difficult times and puts puts his trust in God for the future. One of the other things that we do is we make a house a home, and this is just an example on the screen of it. So this was a property that we had decorated and furnished, and it was 10.30 one night, and we were waiting for the PSNI to bring a family to us. And it was for a Hungarian family, and some of our volunteers had made Hungarian food for them when they arrived with us. This next slide here is um, we were invited to a birthday party for a young Romanian girl. It was a privilege to see how far this family have moved on in the last eight months and even just to be invited to share in their birthday celebrations was such a joy. Every year we hold, um, because sometimes we're dealing with the not-so-nice things, so it's nice that we can get everybody together and do some fun things. So we hold a summer barbecue and a Christmas party. <clears throat> and we're gearing up for our summer barbecue, which is happening this weekend. So, um, And those who come to this call it the Flourish family. Um, this is just another um, slide that we had last year. Um, A lot of our clients we hired out a room in a hotel and had a pamper evening for a number of the girls that we support doing nails and hair and it was such a lovely thing to watch because all the girls came dressed, they thought it was a really special evening and they came dressed in their best dresses, their long long dresses because it was such a special night for them. We believe that it's not that we're simply doing God's work but we're coming alongside with what God is already doing. And we would very much appreciate your prayers. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Jill. I am sure you'll agree that it is so encouraging to hear about what you're doing um, and the existence of Flourish, really, to help people who are really vulnerable. we can't stop with rescue and Jill has shown us that, demonstrated that. There's a lot of work to be done post-rescue. We've got to be doing more than that. If we want to see an end of slavery there's got to be more. In IGM we like to think about our pipeline analogy which I know isn't very exciting but hopefully it's helpful. Um, So whenever uh, someone is trafficked or enslaved or treated unjustly and it goes into a justice system which is already broken, just like this is, there's corruption, maybe there's a lack of resources, maybe a lack of training, then what comes out the other end will really more injustice. And so we've got to be seeing whole systems strengthened, we've got to be seeing justice systems strengthened altogether. So to that end I think the progress is that we have better information So through things like the Global Slavery Index, but also individual governments who are more intent on finding out the reality, what is going on in their countries. We've got stronger legislation all over the world, um, including in the UK, where we have a Modern Slavery Act and our own equivalent legislation and Scottish legislation as well. In Northern Ireland, all of our PSNI recruits, for example, are trained on how to deal with issues of trafficking and, and the often delicate situations that can arise as well as individuals rescued and lives transformed through aftercare. We've also seen whole communities changed through IGM's work around the world. Our theory is that when laws are enforced, the violence stops. That's our theory. But we have seen that that actually is true. So we've got examples of that through in the Philippines and in Cambodia. Cambodia, we've worked there since the early 2000s. We've worked uh, hugely in partnership with other organisations and a lot with the local police and with the government and with local judges, all the different parts of the system uh, we've been working with. And over that time we've seen massive changes and we did some research a couple of years ago to look at the numbers uh, of minors exploited in the brothels and whether that has changed. And the truth is that the numbers of of girls under 18 who are exploited in brothels in Phnom Penh and other major cities has dramatically reduced to less than 1% now. Whereas you would have walked along streets and seen girls all over the place, young girls. And you've probably seen videos and stories of towns in Cambodia which are just renowned around the world for being able to get young girls for sex. But that's no longer the case. The police have an anti-trafficking unit and are much more sensitive and well-trained on how to tackle this. We have seen that we can change whole communities. And we're going to keep, go- keep going with that until all are free. Personally, what has really encouraged me is, uh, more than anything, is to get to meet and know people around Ireland who hear about issues like this and they want their whole lives to make a difference in the fight for the sake of people that they may never meet and places they may never go. They've been willing to sacrifice time, money, tears, effort, their passion, what progress have you seen? What has encouraged you? Have a think about that. We'd love to hear that at the end. I have a colleague called Sanjay McWan who works for us in India and he oversees all of our work in India tackling sexual exploitation of minors and he was in Northern Ireland a few weeks ago, so we asked him about the progress that he's seen. So we have a short video of that. So just bear with us as we get the sound right on this one. Oh.
3: I believe in 1999, when IGM started their work, and now almost 17 years of work, I see a massive change in the street on the streets of Mumbai, same way in the streets of Kolkata. I see massive change. Um, I go and walk through the same streets. I don't see so many girls on the streets. It is absolutely impossible to find minor young age girl on the streets of Mumbai anymore. That's a massive shift uh, in our own lifetime. And I think the sustained work of 17 years has done this. I also see uh, the police's willingness to step up and go and rescue these girls is just absolutely amazing. I'm told through my lawyers, those who were there 10-15 years ago, that they used to go and approach police with a case and it will take days for them to convince the police to rescue one girl. Today, the same police officer will actually be willing and walking with you and rescuing these girls. In fact. Last year, police rescued 1,100 girls just in one year. And all that is just changing. When I joined International Justice Mission, the conviction rate against the traffickers was only uh, very, very less than 1%, I should say. All against all crimes, it was 7%. On trafficking crimes, it was almost negligible. There was, in fact, there, is no me- there was no measurement. Today as I speak to you, the conviction rate against the traffickers of young minor girls and other children is 48%. So people do go to jail today for uh, trafficking young girls. The court system has improved in in these last 10 years. Uh, The sensitivity towards these victims from prosecutors, judges has gone up. I see massive change. I see people go girls going back to their homes. I have seen people girls becoming nurses, a girl who is who is going to become a lawyer. There is one girl who has become an engineer. Uh, we have girls having formal marriage ceremonies and excited about their life ahead. We recently did a, a graduation program of 16 girls who are either married, they have jobs, they are working in hospitals. So it's, it's amazing to see right in front of our eyes that the hard work that you do every day actually brings transformation of lives and it's very satisfactory for us to see that.
1: I have about 30 minutes of footage of Sanjay talking and his reflections. So that's just a little tiny snippet of that. He also was telling me a story of a lady um, who had been trafficking girls across India and she was convicted and went to prison and people from prison fellowship met her and got to know her and she actually became a Christian. And as far as he knows, still reading her Bible every day in the prison, which I think is amazing that we can see transformation actually, even of those who enslave, who have enslaved others. And where are we going? There are still a lot more in this fight, as you know. Um, I put up our vision statement there um, a few slides back, which is, was to rescue thousands, protect millions, and prove that justice for the poor is possible. That was our 2017 vision. We're launching our 2030 vision, which is to, I have to get this right, to rescue millions, protect half a billion, and make justice for the poor unstoppable. So it's big and it's bold, and we need uh, to partner with governments, with other organisations, with churches, with individuals in order to make that happen. But we are excited and we want to keep going until all are free. One of the specific areas I think which is going to be pretty major as we move forward is the area of cyber sex trafficking. So, you've maybe heard a little bit about this. It's self explanatory, really, and people, children that we're focused on uh, being put online that other people all around the world can watch a video or even direct what's happening Um, and so these children are being sexually abused for the pleasure of people all around the world typically a customer somewhere maybe the US maybe the UK anywhere would wire a payment online and then watch or direct the live sex show and we're working on this issue in the Philippines so many of the boys and girls as you can imagine are located in really poor neighborhoods in the Philippines and it's growing there partly because of poverty, partly because the internet is really easy to get access to and some of the equipment and it's an easy way to make money. Case referrals from 2014 to 2015 actually doubled on this issue and last year the Department of Justice in the Philippines reported an average of 2,600 case referrals in a month from the US alone, just from the US. So that number according to our law enforcement partners is rising. All of the the cyber sex trafficking cases that we've worked on so far are global, but involving Filipino children and criminal facilitators and customers in the West. This is how a typical case might work. An international law enforcement agency would identify an offender in their country, whether that's America or the UK or wherever, and purchasing abusive images or streaming live abusive children. And whenever we whenever that those that footage or those photographs are traced back to the Philippines, then they can refer that case to us and to the Philippine police and we'll work with them. Um, so the techniques required are slightly different here because a lot of it's online. It's difficult to trace where that might be coming from. And um, so we need different skills, we need different technology in order to do that. And then there will be hopefully some kind of rescue operation. And so we may help then the authorities to uncover more evidence that leads to more children. Um, and maybe even we'll be able to pass back information to Western law enforcement to help them uh, find maybe more perpetrators, more customers. So there's a lot of collaboration required in this. and um, But we're seeing that actually it, is, it can work. I've got a short video to show you, and it's not easy viewing, but I do think it's important. Um, the child in the video is an actor, but it's based on a real story of a little boy called Marco. Um, and the, it, the the rescue came about because um, there was an Irish man living in London who had images on his computer and they were traced back to the Philippines and traced to be this little boy, Marco. And we were able to then help Marco and his little sister. Um, The video is about four minutes long um, and hopefully um, we'll be able to see it as the fact that it is reality, it is what's going on in the world, but also preferably hand it over to God as well. I know that's really tough going. I don't know if you could make out the words at the end. It's quite small, but at the end it says that the two children that you see running away from the camera are the real Marco and Gabby, and they were rescued by IJM and authorities in August 2015. I think it's, we'll just take a moment to pray, if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, we, it's really difficult to watch things like this and to face um, some of what's going on in the world. It seems that people are capable of really terrible things towards other people. But we also know that you're really good and that you care and are compassionate for your children and all those that you've made. And I thank you that you have sent people to rescue Marco and Gabby, and we pray that um, all children like them would be free and safe. Amen. So this issue is a massive thing for IJM moving forward, and we're seeing that it's growing, and so we want to work really hard with local authorities to tackle it and to show that even an issue like this, Um, where there are new things to be tackled, new obstacles, can actually be overcome. Um, I've put out some booklets and some of your seats and there's a lot of information in there about this and there's a campaign which you can get involved in called Not On My Screen. Other issues moving forward, I think, are things like supply chains and slavery and supply chains. So our legislation in the UK uh, says that businesses now um, at a certain level have to be able to look at their supply chains and show that it's slavery free. And in IGM, we're working with some big business around the world uh, to to look into some industries like the fishing industry and how we can uh, ensure that they are slavery slavery free but there's a role for all of us in that it's not just down to IGM it's not just down to flourish we think there's a role for all of us and so that's why I thought it would be really great to have Dave Richards come along um, and he's here anyway you know hanging out at the conference so we thought it'd be really nice to get him to work a little bit harder and we're going to ask him a few questions so Dave um, knows uh, my colleague Andy in Scotland really well and uh, and your church, P's and G's, are partnering with IJM and have been for a couple of years, I think. Um, So we're going to ask uh, Dave a few questions. And I think it's important because you're not a lawyer, as far as I know. You're not an investigator. You're not a police officer. You're not a social worker. But yet you have a role to play in this fight. So, um, Dave, if you want to briefly tell us about the context with uh, that you're coming here from.
4: Um, I suppose it's a a large evangelical uh, Episcopal Anglican Church in the centre of Edinburgh. About a thousand people come uh, and would call P's and G's home. Um, But also uh, we do have within P's and G's um, a few people who are police officers. Uh, We have a few lawyers uh, and we also have a few high court judges. Um, So we have folk who are interested in justice and the justice system uh, in Scotland uh it's a church that since it was replanted 30 years ago has always had a keen sense of world mission and being involved in world mission and we've been privileged to send people out from Ps and g's around the world and those are the people that we support and pray for and give to financially so for example the curs who head up om in ireland uh, they come from Ps and g's and we support them financially and pray for them regularly
1: thank you um, so how did you become aware of this particular issue of modern slavery
4: um, I think when you asked the question earlier on about those moments where you think, okay, wh- when did it happen? I think there were three th- three times for me. One was hearing Gary Howigen, who's the founder of IJM, uh, speak at the Global Leadership Summit in uh, Willow Creek in Chicago, uh, probably about 12, 13 years ago. And uh, him telling his story about how he uh, encountered what he encountered in Rwanda after the genocide and the, the setting up of IJM. Uh, the second sort of hinge moment for me uh, was in 2008 uh, when my wife Kathy and I were out in Kenya uh, with World Vision and uh, on one day we went out for a a visit to visit a local project and met a family uh, where the grandmother was looking after the children. Uh, The mother um, had some health difficulties but the father was nowhere to be seen and we asked where's dad and Actually, dad was in prison, and he'd been put in prison for 15 years for abusing uh, one of the children in the family, and the lawyer had been sub- been provided by IJM. So, suddenly, the jigsaw started to come together of different parts of different organizations working together, and then the third hinge moment was five years ago this week. I was over in Chicago, again, at the Global Leadership Summit. I'll go anywhere, uh, really, for ice cream, um, and... Uh, One of the speakers was a 32-year-old woman called Pranitha Timothy. And if I'm honest, when she started speaking, I was thinking, why have they asked this frail, young Indian woman with a stammer to speak to 8,000 church leaders in the auditorium and another 145,000 who were watching it live across North America? And then she starts to tell her story. And she works for IJM in India. And she has a family. She's married with two young children. um, And she has to tell to her children that when she goes out to work in the morning, they might not see her again because she goes out on rescue missions and she told one story about rescuing a group of men from a, a brick factory as we've heard already and they were surrounded and there was no way out and there was a mob that the, the, the owners of the brick factory had, um, had paid to come and intimidate the workers so that they wouldn't go with the IGM uh, staff uh, to freedom uh, the police were nowhere to be seen at that point and all that they could do was pray and so they prayed and it was like something out of Old Testament times. They prayed, and as they prayed, the, the mob parted in front of them and allowed them to walk through the mob and to walk to freedom to the local police station. And at the end of that interview, they got her husband and her two young children and uh, her parents, who had gone to uh, Chicago with them for the conference, and we prayed for them, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Because here is this woman putting her life on the line every single day to help other people. And it's because Jesus has changed her life and changed her and transformed her about 10 years before.
1: Yes, I remember that story. It was really something. Um, So tell us why you got your church involved in tackling slavery and what that involvement looks like.
4: Um, I think it was part of a a bigger... uh, re-envisioning for us about what it meant to be involved in God's mission around the world. Um, mission has traditionally been thought about sending people to tell people about Jesus. Then maybe every now and again through something like Tear Fund or World Vision you might do a bit of good along the way and help with poverty and that sort of thing. Um, and really we, we thought uh, long and hard, we've been praying for about three years about, Lord show us a need in the city of Edinburgh that nobody else is meeting. And uh, we discovered that the worst time to be homeless... Uh, in a city in in the UK is between the hours of 4 and 8 on a Saturday afternoon because everyone's watching X Factor or the football or or The Voice or whatever it is that's on between 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock. And people who are homeless have nowhere to go. So we started a ministry called Soul Food where we now feed 100 people who are homeless every Saturday and we give them a banquet. And as part of that, rediscovering what God's heart for people was, we wanted to rediscover what his heart for justice was. And so we did a a teaching series, a sermon series for about three or four months uh, about what it meant to become a community of hope. And we looked through Old Testament and New Testament passages at what God's heart was for the poor and what God felt towards injustice and slavery and this, you know the story of God's people is the release of slavery uh, the passover is is about people being released from slavery you and i described as people who once were slaves to sin um, the evangelical part of the church that we belong to uh, was was in instrumental in getting rid of the, the slave trade we thought uh, in the 18th and 19th century um and so to realize that 45 million people today were still in slavery we thought well we need to do something to play our part and because Andy uh, Bevan, Ruth's um, equivalent in Scotland, is a part of our congregation, uh, we decided to partner with IGM. So uh, it started in small ways, um, hearing more, starting to educate ourselves, educate the congregation about what the issues were. Um, we hosted a conference uh, called Abolition Scotland with CARE and different organisations, with the local police, uh, with the council, and... Um, and begin, began to learn more about the subject uh, and now we uh, financially give towards IGM, support their work in Bangalore uh, we have uh, a justice prayer community that meets once every two months where people who are concerned for justice come together to pray around issues uh, to do with justice. We have uh, members of the church who are in the police or in the judicial system, who are judges, who are lawyers, etc. Um, and then also we encourage some of those lawyers to go out into the field and, and to go to countries like Kenya and do pro bono work and, and help. Um, and we're just committed to doing what we can. We, we supported Andy. We have, again, two or three church members who work in Scottish Parliament. And uh, when the bill was being introduced about on modern slavery in Scotland, um, I mean, it's in the news today. Um, you know the the model who is in in Italy, um, she's made the front page, and you think, well, yeah, she's on the front page, but what about the 45 million who are not on the front page? Um, Sports Direct have been prosecuted because of Polish workers in Nottingham, um, so it's a live issue. And if we're concerned for God's world, uh, if if you're in the Bible reading, what Heather was saying about, you know, the new Belfast, the new Corrine the new New Delhi, we need to be concerned for that and therefore to, to work against injustice and to work against slavery. And so um, four members of the church are, are doing the Just Ride uh, with Andy. They work. I don't know what, they're bike riding for about 150 miles in September in Scotland. They're mad. It'll, it'll be horizontal rain. Um, but they're doing it because it's important because you can't hear, I don't know about you, but I was in bits after that video You can't hear stories like that and be unmoved if the Spirit of God is at work in your life. You have to do something, whether it's praying, whether it's giving, uh, whether it's supporting what people are doing.
1: Thank you. So, you said about having to re-envision what it means to uh, seek justice and mission and that kind of thing. So, have there been objections to being involved in this kind of thing? But also, what have been the benefits? How have you seen it actually helping your people in your congregation, as well as people around the world?
4: Um, yeah, if we're honest, I mean, there has been a bit of pushback of, oh, surely we should be just telling people about Jesus, that's mission. Um, three books that I'd recommend, first is Gary Hougins' The Locust Effect, uh, the second is uh, Rich Stern's book, The Hole in Your Gospel, uh, he heads up the work of World Vision in America, and then uh, Tim Keller, Generous Justice. Um if you read the Bible, Old and New Testament, you'll see that God is concerned about whole peoples, whole peoples' lives. Uh, we believe as a church in whole life discipleship, and, and we, we've, we're rediscovering, I think, as the Evangelical Church in the UK, what it means to work for social justice, and not just evangelism. Uh, for a long time, we left social justice to what we call liberal Christians. And if we're honest, they were far more effective and shamed those of us who were evangelicals in their involvement. And really it comes from your theology about God and your theology of heaven. Um, I'm going to preach for about two minutes. Um, if you if you think that really Christianity is about the basic minimum entry requirements for heaven, and, and it's about getting to heaven, then you won't do anything about this earth. As, as Heather was reminding us again this morning. But if you actually think, and this is where the stuff from Philippians comes in that I've mentioned a couple of times in the evening celebrations. If you think that if we're citizens of heaven, rather than as Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, citizens of Philippi. Well, if you were a citizen of Philippi, that meant that you were also a Roman citizen. And your job was to make Philippi a miniature Rome, a copy of Rome. So what happened in Philippi when it was made a Roman colony was that it became a miniature Rome. They they demolished buildings and they built smaller versions of the buildings that were in Rome. So when Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, your citizenship is in heaven, what he's saying is that you are to make Philippi heaven. You are to make Coleraine, Belfast, Derry, Bangor, Edinburgh replicas of heaven. Scripture actually doesn't talk about us going up to heaven. If you think about it, Scripture again and again speaks about heaven coming down. We pray our Father in heaven May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And for a Jewish mind, do you know where heaven begins? If you put your head just above, your hand, sorry, just above your head. Go on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Just put, that's where heaven begins for a Jewish mind. So heaven isn't up there, miles away. Heaven is here. So saying our father in heaven means that your father in heaven is that close. But our job, therefore, is to bring heaven to earth. If our citizenship is in heaven, we need to make the places where we live, this earth, like heaven. And one day we believe that God will restore and redeem all things. In the words of Bishop Graham Cray, which bit of all things do you not understand?
1: Wow, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you feel like it's benefited your church, is that right? I hope the answer's yes.
4: It, yeah, it has, and eventually it's broadened and um, enlarged our sense of what God is calling us to do as a church.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate that. I, um, hopefully, yeah, thank you. If you have any questions, particularly for Dave or for Jill, um, at the end, please do uh come up and we'll hang around for a little bit for a bit of a chat so we've looked back and we've looked forward there's a lot more that we could say I know um but I wanted to just pick out a few things in the short time we have together so I guess I want to ask will you commit to being part of this these next steps the next phase of the fight against slavery we have seen a lot of progress but we need to keep going will you commit to being part of it with us will you commit to praying Pray because there are still children like Marco being abused online in the Philippines because there are still investigators working for IGM undercover in brothels in the Dominican Republic because Flourish are still helping to care for survivors daily. In IGM we are really passionate um, about prayer and we spend a lot of time each day actually ourselves in prayer and we want to see uh, the biggest move of prayer for justice that the UK has ever seen so please commit to praying with us and for us. I put a little blank page on your seats and what I would love for you to think about before you leave is what's your commitment? What do you think you could do? And write it down. If you write it down, you're more likely to stick to it. I know that's how it works for me. If you want to pray with us and for us, put your name and email address on that and I will, we'll collect them at the end. Um, there's another opportunity, which is Freedom Sunday, where we're asking churches all around the world to highlight slavery on the 24th of September. and uh, To take a stand against it, whether through the whole service, whether through a short video and a prayer, it's up to you. If you want to be involved in that, write that down on the page and we can get more information to you. You can take the page with you if you want to have it personally but if you want to be involved or if you want to put your commitment out there then please do leave it on your seat or maybe at the end of the rows so thank you for your time and attention i think we've got a couple of minutes left if anybody does have a question this is a great time to ask it so it's all really clear brilliant um, so before we finish up well isabel maybe i'll just hand back to you is that okay And if you want to pray as well, that would be great. So thank you so much. Please do come and speak to us afterwards.
0: Yes, I'm very much aware that some of you maybe have children to collect, so you haven't got a lot of time. On your seat, you would have found a seminar feedback. Maybe you could take just a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes to fill that in and just tell us what you've thought of the seminar. And before you do that, we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for for what we have heard this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the work of IJM. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless that work. Keep the m- members, Lord, safe wherever they are working in the world. Give them the vision, Lord, that they need and the support that they need, Lord, to continue with this work. We thank you for Ruth, Lord, and we just pray that you continue to bless her. In Jesus' name, amen.